With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, start it off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlansport.com. Thank you to our friends at Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the 2024 Colin Coward Show. Panini America delivers a premier collecting experience with the most sought-after NFL, NBA, FIFA, and WNBA trading cards. Whether you're chasing rookie sensations or collecting timeless legends, Panini's got it. Panini America is also breaking new ground in NIL, featuring some of the biggest names in college sports. Turn first-round picks like Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and more. Visit PaniniAmerica.net today. The Volume. All right, Jason, Timp, and I are just about ready to talk about the Lakers. Before we start with Jason, I want to grab your smartphone, download the Game Time app, grab it right now. That smartphone, 90 seconds, Game Time app. Want to go to a basketball game? Download Game Time. Use the code Colin, C-O-L-I-N. That's an easy code to remember, 20 bucks off your first purchase. Game Time is fast and easy to use. By the way, uh, if you show up, Game time has deals on tickets right up to the event and even an hour after it starts. All right. It's the lab. It's the best place for last minute deals. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110%. You take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app. It's really quick. It's 90 seconds like all these apps. You create an account. The code is Colin then, C O L I N and you get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, an account, the redeem code Colin. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Well, we haven't talked to Jason Timp in a long time. Jason is one of those gems we found hunting through podcast after podcast, uh, Hoops Tonight host. He's done just a remarkable job for us. His growth has been uh, exponential. And we don't ignore him during the football season, but we got Middlecoff here as my, as my lead back. So now we're pivoting here in about four or five days to the NBA. And I found myself about three weeks ago really starting to watch the NBA. And Jason and I are going to cut it up for about 45 minutes. Let me start with a trade deadline. A lot of times there can be sort of... Um, overhyped uh, trade suggestions. I have not seen any irresponsible reporting by uh, NBA guys. I don't think there's a ton out there. I think DeJounte Murray would make the Lakers better. I don't think he's a game changer. So your thought on what is a pretty quiet trade deadline? Well, it's interesting because I think the play-in tournament has made it so that more teams than ever are more willing to think within the scope of the current season, which yeah. has diminished the number of sellers. And yet, and yet there are so many teams that feel close, which has increased the number of buyers. But the problem is the majority of those buyers don't have much to offer. Like the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns would love to have a perimeter defense upgrade, but they 
don't have any first round picks to offer, which severely limits their ability to go out and get somebody. The Lakers would love to go out and get an athletic guard, but they have some limitations in that they basically have this one draft pick to offer. And chances are you can't get a really great transformative player for that type of talent. And so in a weird way, even though there are a lot of teams that would like to make a trade, there aren't just there just aren't that many trades to be made. And so I think that will kind of limit what we see over the course of the next couple of days. Of course, you never know. We'll see what happens before the deadline if desperation kicks in and some stuff starts flying around. But I have a feeling that we're poised for a relatively quiet uh, deadline. So you follow the entire league. Let's start with the Lakers because that's always been a primary uh, asset of your NBA knowledge. I've kind of rolled my eyes at any suggestion to trade LeBron, mostly because the five previous years before him, they had the lowest winning percentage in the league, and he saved the franchise. Ticket sales, merch, intelligence, he's still an elite scorer and distributor. I'm not giving up LeBron for 19-year-olds that may or may not hit and be players. My art, Here's what I view the Lakers as, and you can tear this apart. I view this team as an elite scorer and distributor, LeBron, the best defender in the league in Anthony Davis, an excellent third wheel, sometimes inconsistent, but a good score in Austin Reeves, excellent length. That's why they can match up with a Denver. They have excellent length. Could use another shooter. I would love to see him give up a little length to get a shooter, DeJounte Murray. Then I think they would be in the discussion as the third best team in the league. They're not Boston, though the Celtics have no bench and they just beat them. And they're not Denver. If Jokic, it, it just, it, it, Anthony Davis does about as good a job as you can on him and he's going to give you 28, 8, and 8 or whatever. But I think the move is a tweak. And I don't think I'm selling the future uh, when I don't know because of the way the NFL draft works. I get 23-year-olds. In the NBA, I get 19-year-olds. Who knows what they become? I have a much greater sense of a first-round NFL pick than a first-round NBA pick. So my take is if you could get a shooter, give up a tad length, I think you're arguably capable of beating a Milwaukee, a, a Phoenix. Is that a fair uh, kind of view of the Lakers. You know, the Lakers have had such a weird season, but it makes a little bit more sense when you kind of split it into thirds. So they come out the gates and they're actually pretty solid. In spite of the fact that D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves are both struggling, they started 15 and nine, capped yep. off with winning the in-season tournament, right? Then immediately after that, which was somewhat, I was cut, uh, our mutual friend Logan Swaim, I was texting him at the time. I was like, I hope they don't just completely fall apart after winning this thing. They go three and 10 over their next 13 yeah. games with some bad losses. They lost to a Spurs team that hadn't won in like a month. They lost to the Bulls. They lost to the Grizzlies. They basically let go of the rope and it does a ton of damage to them in the standings. Well, they kind of circle the wagons and they get their feet back underneath them and they're 10 and six in their last 16 games with some impressive wins. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Thunder. They beat the Celtics. They beat the Knicks. They beat the Mavs. They beat the Warriors. So I think... More or less, I'm kind of exactly where I was with this team before the season, which is they're really damn good, but they're not as good as Denver. They're not as good as Boston. Right. And so I think I think I think the silver lining and the reason why I would invest in this group is you and I talked about how LeBron and AD in a lot of ways needed to get better, especially on the offensive end for them to be able to hang with Denver. A LeBron James jump shot last year was worth 0.9 points. A LeBron James jump shot this year is worth 1.06 points. That's an 18% improvement. You've seen that when you watch the games. He's he's executing the Golden State Warriors with pull-up jump shots at the end of games. He just was 
completely incapable of doing that last year. He had a bizarre shooting slump in last year's season. And then Anthony Davis is having the best post-up season of his career. He's reading double teams better than ever. And so he's been great. He's been so good. And so to me, like, uh, you mentioned that core three, Austin, LeBron, and AD. The biggest question mark for the Lakers is the two guys in between. D'Angelo Russell brings a lot of offensive firepower to the table, but you can't play him next to Austin Reeves against good teams. You're not athletic enough in the backcourt. Torian Prince has been Darvin Ham's favorite player all season yeah. long. He is a bench player. Here's a crazy stat for you. He has started twice as many games this year as he did in the previous three seasons combined. So he's miscast. <laughs> as a starter on this particular team, although they just recently moved him to the bench. Your opinion there, that bench length, they have all these guys like Brui, Hachimura, and Jared Vanderbilt who are really good, but they can't really play on the perimeter on both ends of the floor the way they need. And so so bringing in someone like a DeJounte Murray, another guy that they wanted last summer that they didn't get, who I know they're looking for again this year, is like a Bruce Brown, or even like a smaller move on the margins with a team like Brooklyn for something like Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. Getting quality NBA starters at the two and three will give them their best puncher's chance. But at the end of the day, Colin, like is Denver just better than everybody? Because that I think is what's causing a lot of the reticence here is whether or not they can even beat them. I talked about this on the herd today. If you look at the history of the NBA, teams have been very even those Utah Chicago series, very even. What was the difference? Michael hitting key shots. Spurs dynasty was largely Duncan kidding, hitting key shots. Shaq and Kobe beat the Blazers in game seven on a series of great shots late. Lakers, I would argue, were outplayed for much of that series, trailed in several games. So if you look at the history of the NBA, the best player wins. It's not always the best bench. Denver's bench is average. Um, It's not always the best support system. Michael Porter in the finals, he's been such a hit and miss up and down player. Jokic just makes big baskets late. And so I don't think the Lakers are worse than Denver and Boston for any other reason than the best player on the floor. So Boston, I still, I'm going to transition to them in a second. I still have my misgivings about Boston uh, because I don't love their best player as much as I love Denver's or the Lakers or Milwaukee's. But I, I tend to think the Lakers are the third best team because Jokic is the world's best player. And I do think that a Celtics starting five is really, really good and usually good at home. So let's pivot to the East Coast, we'll come back West because I I'm starting to fall in love with the Clippers and that sentence I've never uttered in my life. But <laughs> I want to I want to go first. Let's go to Boston. So listen, I know their starting five is great. I don't love Missoula. I think he's a little over his skis at times in big games against a Spolstra, uh, in big games against Malone. Uh, I wouldn't trust him in a big series. I think he gives away a game in a series. They don't have a bench. I do really like their starting five. I think Porzingis is a, just a unique body that's it's he's just hard to match up with. He forces you to pay attention to their fourth best player, and he's a weird body type. But I see this is that we're trying to convince ourselves to what Tatum is. I know exactly what Porzingis is. Not a great leader, not always healthy, but a very effective score and a unique body type. Drew Holiday, elite score, B-level score, or elite defender, B-level score. Jalen Brown, great athlete, better every year, a little bit of a star ceiling, but an excellent player. With Tatum, it's different. I think people think, you know, listen, next year he's Kobe. And this year he, and I'm like, no, he's never going to be that. That's not his personality. He is an A player, a top eight guy in the league, but he doesn't have a little bit of that, um, 
kind of get me the ball. I'm going to be selfish for six minutes. It's not in him. It's why he's a terrific team player. But I think we keep waiting for the next level of Tatum. And I'm like, he's a two-way player. Excellent. Love him. Team guy. But this is what he is. There will be games sixes and sevens when he's on the floor with a LeBron or Steph. And you're like, he's the second best player on the floor. He's just not that player. Is that an, an unfair appraisal of Jason Tatum and the Celtics? It's it's so funny because you can't talk about this with Celtics fans because they're so that this their record is incredible. They have all these boxes that they're checking, and it's like this looks like the best team in the league. Except for guess who their last four losses were against? The Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Nuggets. <laughs> and, <laughs> and specifically, those four games, their offense faltered in every single one of those games. And the bizarre, the bizarre thing with this Celtics team is they have attached their fate to variance. They attempt the most three-point shots in the league. When they're going in, they look awesome. When they're missing, their offense completely stutters and they can be beat by anybody, basically. And even Jason Tatum himself, and like, you know, this is the most disappointing thing to me. He came into this uh, this season, he put on more muscle. He's one of the most physically impressive forwards that we have in the league. And he comes into the season, he's posting up more than ever. And then somewhere after like 20 games or so, he stopped posting up as much and he went, all in on this stupid pull-up jump shot, which has now become a half of his shot diet. This is a crazy stat for you, Colin. There are nine players in the NBA that have attempted at least 400 pull-up jump shots this year, okay? Trey Young, a small guard. Shea Gildas-Alexander, a finesse guard. Jalen Brunson, a smaller power guard. Steph Curry, a smaller guard. Devin Booker, a, a decent-sized two-guard, but who's not a great athlete. Donovan Mitchell, good athlete, but he's small. Luka Doncic, a, a forward who is more groundbound and doesn't have elite athleticism, and then Anthony Edwards and Jason Tatum. So all these other guys, they do it because they have to. That's how they're in the NBA. And right. not to mention, all of those guys, Trey, SGA, Jalen, Steph, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Luka Doncic, they're all great at that shot. They get more than a point per pull-up jump shot that they take. The problem is, is Jason Tatum, and by the way, Anthony Edwards has to be lumped in here because he's the same type of guy, disgustingly yeah. good athlete, just a ridiculous athlete who bails the defense out by taking these long pull-up jump shots. And Jason Tatum, about a half of his shot diet is a shot that is worth less than a point, which is his pull-up jumper. For years now, he's never been able to make it at a high enough clip, yet he is attaching his destiny to it. And it's discouraging because, again, he is 6'9" ripped freak athlete can bully people to the basket, do all of this stuff. And he's bailing the defense out more often than not. And like, you know, it's so funny. It used to be like a Tatum's young. He's figuring it out. Tatum's young. He's figuring out he's, he's going to be 26 in this playoff run. Yeah. This is usually the time when players figure it out. Now I don't want to bail on him because I've seen enough like they're in game, you know, five and six against the Heat. He kind of looked like he started to figure some stuff out before he got hurt in game seven. It's not over for him by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just discouraging for a player this deep into his career with the athletic tools that he has to basically cut everyone a break by taking such high difficulty shots that he can't make at a high enough clip to really punish defenses. And between that and then as a team, them leaning so heavily on three-point variants, they've made themselves beatable in a yeah. way that a team that talented really should not be beatable. Okay, so I want to go back west to the Clippers, who I saw dismantle the Celtics in Boston from the opening tip. So a couple of nights ago, I'm out. 
And Lawrence Frank is sitting next to me and we just chop it up for an hour. And I said, man, was I wrong on that deal? I said, I hated it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do with Westbrook? He went to the bench where he's playing about 23 minutes a night and doing really good things in that 23 minutes. Last night, he had a couple of beautiful passes against the Hawks. Um, uh, Kawhi and Paul of O's tremendous two-way wings. Uh, they've got size, Plumlee. You know, they've got some size. But I said, I, I said, you're a beautiful team to watch. The, the, the ball movement, they don't have a single player in the top 35 in ball usage. And you can see it. I think they're the most beautiful basketball right now in the league to watch. Jason, the Clippers ball movement, they get a great shot three out of four times down the floor. They get beautiful shots. They have surging offense with, with, with uh, like a coffee and a Westbrook off the bench. Size, experienced wings, veteran point guard, experienced head coach. And I'm sitting there watching them. I know it's the Hawks. And I, and I know the Celtics probably. No, I'll just give, I'll give them the win over the Celtics. That's a credible win. And I'm watching those two games and I'm like, this offense, you can score your way to a title. There's, there's no Tim Duncan in this league now. Like, you can score your way to a title. Jokic is not a great defender. Milwaukee's not a great defensive team. I think we have to take the Clippers seriously. I think they're a machine offensively. Westbrook deserves credit. And Harden, Lawrence Frank said, right now in his career, all about winning. Most coachable guy. So your takeaway on what you're watching with them. I think with James Harden, we overestimated, I think, going into that deal, how much like his playoff shortcomings really play a role in the regular season, which is they don't. Like James Harden is still, even last year in Philly, one of the best regular season offensive engines that you can have in the league. That specifically is of great value next to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard because they are both very much tip of the spear type of scores. If you can get them into advantage situations, they can kill people. Paul George has been playing with like a defender closing out at him most of the season this year. And he's so damn good when you give him that type of advantage, right? And just in general, their overall floor organization with James Harden has just made offense so much easier for them, which was interesting because early on, they struggled offensively with James Harden. That took a little bit of time for them to figure out. Now the offense is clicking in addition to the defense, and now they're beating everybody. The other part of it too is when 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 we really look at uh, uh, the Clippers as a regular season team. They've been more on like the Lakers side in years past where they're kind of just getting through the regular season. And one of the things that NBA history has told us is Denver Nuggets, one seed. Warriors before Steph Curry sprained his foot right there with the Suns at the top of the West. The Bucks, one seed. The Lakers, one seed. The Raptors, a two seed. Like the team that is a veteran team that has talent that attacks the regular season with like a real ferocity usually wins the title. And so the Clippers, I think just from the top down have approached the season with a, a lot more urgency this year. And I think that that's a big step in the right direction for them. Now I want to be clear. There's some question marks surrounding this team. They're 23rd in defensive rebounding. That's usually a, a big red flag for the playoffs. They also attempt 26 pull-up jump shots per game, which is the second most in the league. And right now they're making them at a really high rate, but We've seen what happens when, I mean, when they lost to Denver in the bubble, that's what happened. Their pull-up jump shots went cold, and they didn't really have another punch at that point. But to be clear, all these teams have holes. Boston has offensive issues. Milwaukee has defensive issues. So it's not like the Clippers' issues are, you know, the only team in the league that has that type of red flag. But 
I the, the way I look at it, it's it's one last thing on the James Harden front that I think we didn't properly account for. In Philly, he was getting the best perimeter defender every night. Tyrese Maxey was viewed as the secondary Great option. Point. They're throwing the forwards at Joel Embiid. Yep. He's getting the best guy on the other team at guarding a perimeter initiator. Who are you throwing your best guy at for a perimeter weapon with the Clippers? You're probably throwing it at Kawhi. Who are you throwing your second best guy at? Uh, you're probably throwing it at Paul George. James Harden is getting quality matchups every single night. I think just in general, there's lower pressure on him in this postseason. Yep. There's If you actually look back, last season they were below 500 in the regular season and in the playoffs when James Harden shot below 40%. They did not have that margin for error in Philly for James to have a bad night. With the Clippers this year, they're well above 500 when James Harden shoots below 40%. There's margin for error. James can go off the reservation yeah. and they just keep trucking right along. And so I think I think they just kind of increased their margin for error. They improved their regular season offensive organization. But once again, it will come down to Kawhi and Paul George knocking down pull-up jump shots when they get into the postseason. Yeah, and then Westbrook comes off the bench where he's often the best guard on the floor. You know, mm -hmm. when he comes in at the eight-minute mark, he's only playing like 23 minutes a night. But he's well, first of all, he's always been an energy guy. I'm never worried about that. But I think he really, he deserves credit. He just said, listen, Carmelo really struggled to adapt to his role off the bench for like three years. Westbrook's like, I'll do it. And it's, I mean, when Terrence Mann's your fourth best st starter in the starting five, you're like, that's a, that's a good team. Mm -hmm. Like I, and I think you, you, it's a really brilliant point. They're a little bit of a matchup issue. So, um, because Kawhi and Paul George are very similar, um, I think Paul's the most underrated player in the league. He gets this whole playoff P, and then you go look at his playoff numbers. <laughs> they're not bad at all. They're not bad at all. So I think he's a really underrated player. And he and Kawhi are very similar players. So you have to pick your poison. And if you start looking like the other night, and Kawhi is still such an effective player because of his hand size down low. He's really a, he's really a problem. He's so strong. Paul's more of a pure perimeter player. Kawhi can go inside. I think they're just a matchup problem. I think they're a matchup problem with Westbrook off the bench, and I love watching them play. So let's go back east to the Knicks. So I watched the entire game, Lakers-Knicks. Now, OG didn't play in Randall, but I mean, the Lakers beat the Celtics without LeBron and AD. So Julius Randall shouldn't be the difference. I think Grimes was out. But my takeaway on the Knicks is this. First of all, I always thought Jalen Brunson was a 1A. Maybe he's a 1. 27 a game. I love his leadership, his IQ, his toughness. I think he's the best Knicks since Ewing. Was never a huge Carmelo fan. Didn't give you anything on the second, on the defensive end. And a little bit selfish. Wouldn't step back and hit threes for years. He just got stubborn on the twos. So if Brunson's an A, I do believe you need a very strong two. I think OG and Randall are threes. Good threes. Um, and, and, and at the end of that game, if Brunson's not hitting, forget Randall. Because Randall would be slowed down by AD. He's not getting any cheap points. AD is the best low post defender in the game. And I look at the Knicks and what I've seen, Jason, in the last three years with them is patience. And part of me is like, just go get a two. And then part of me is like, no, that's the Knicks. You've been desperate, Amari Stoudemire. You always reach on people. Is there a player in the league? if not this trade deadline, next trade deadline, because I think they need a two. So address if you think the Knicks do. If Brunson's not hitting late like he wasn't against the Lakers, boy, they go dry fast. I mean, they go dry fast. Now, Randall didn't play, but I don't think OG or Randall are elite scores per se. Is there a guy in the league that you say, you know what? 
I thought it was Carl Anthony Towns. I was kind of in that for a while. Is there a guy that you would like for that role for them? The pa- patience is the perfect way to put it because they could have jumped on Donovan Mitchell. And now yeah. it's one it's one of those things where it's at the time of the trade, we didn't realize Brunson was this good. So like maybe internally they were like Brunson's our guy and, and maybe that was some of the reasoning behind it. But the point is, is waiting ended up being smart because then Jalen Brunson popped and now they can kind of be more patient in terms of waiting for who that next guy is. I thought the OG and Anobi trade was was genius because it didn't waste any sort of super legitimate asset in terms of their pr- uh, pursuit of an eventual star. I think one of the reasons why that Laker game looked the way it did is the Knicks are very much like a physically imposing team. Like they are very much like a power beat you up for 48 minutes, classic Tom Thibodeau type of team, right? And when you take OG and Julius out, they just become small really fast, (laughs) especially with Mitchell Robinson out of the lineup because he's been injured, although he might come back before the end. But I mean, this won't come as any secret to uh, anybody who's listened to you and me talk about this before, but we're both really high on Jalen Brunson. And I think like, I think Jalen Brunson has entered into that conversation with the best guards in the league. Like, I I think he's just on that tier. We're we're on an extended stretch now where he, not only that, he's improving. And and like, to take it even a step further, look at the playoffs last year. He straight up outplayed Donovan Mitchell head-to-head and won a series. And he went Frankly, Jason, I think he's a better player than Donovan Mitchell. He's not quite. I don't think he's quite. I shouldn't even say this anymore. I got to get over this. (laughs) I think he's a better leader. I think he plays uh, with a very steady temperament. I know exactly what I get from Jalen Brunson every game I watch him. Donovan, mm-hmm. I get I get stretches where I get he just like forgets his teammates. I think Brunson is a top. You can name it, but I think he it, New York loud. He's classic Villanova. Tunes out the noise. Coachable leader. Grown up. Defends. Like, I'm sorry, but I I have, I think he's terrific. I love him. To, to Donovan Mitchell's credit, he's having the best season of his career as well. The Cavs are literally the two seed. He's having the best defensive season he's had of his career. So I want to give Donovan Mitchell some credit, but I agree with you. Jalen Brunson is a better basketball player than him. But then he also went toe-to-toe with Jimmy Butler. The reason why they couldn't beat the Heat last year was Ju- Julius Randle was a complete non-factor in that postseason run. Now, in his defense, he was hurt. He had hurt his ankle right before the playoffs and was pretty beat up throughout that playoff run. But to your point, the Knicks have already shown us they can make some noise with just Jalen uh, Jalen Brunson. So you can imagine what a number two would do for them. Now, the question is who? The guy that I know that they've been waiting on is Joel Embiid. But I do get somewhat concerned about with his, with his injury history now. Like, here we are again with him, with his knee struggling to make it through a regular season. But I think Joel Embiid is a guy they've had their eyes on. I think if the war, if the Lakers just absolutely, like, flounder this year like just an absolute disaster end of the season i put like a like a five percent chance that someone like lebron could potentially either opt out of his deal this summer and sign there on like a mid-level exception or opt in and do the james harden where basically you opt in and ask for a trade and then try to do that because i look at lebron james as basically even at this phase of his career just a way better version of julius Randle, which kind of is a (laughs) shoe-in fit to that position you know what i mean so like but I think I think when it comes to with, to the Knicks, patience has been the name of the game. Jalen Brunson has bought them the ability to be good while they wait for yeah. the right guy. But That's at right. the end of the day, there's no reason to jump at anything unless it is the... I wouldn't trade for a single guy unless he was better than Jalen Brunson. It literally is that simple uh, to me. 
Yeah, I, I I think Brunson's the future of the Knicks. And and you know, there's a lot of people that are you know, there's you you hear this. Uh I I think it was said about Jalen Brunson. He's a little guy. You don't win championships with little guys. And the NBA is getting bigger. I mean, there's a certain recent formula to size yeah. in the league. But I got to tell you, as the league gets younger, I think there's an increasing value in maturity and leadership as the league gets younger. It's why LeBron is so valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think Tatum in New York, you can get lost in that city. I mean, that, that, that shit, that city eats guys up. Like if you're not, I mean, I remember guys like Jeremy Shock. I mean, that's why the great Jeremy Shockey was a great New York giant, just not ready for the city quite, right? If you go to the history of New York, go look at their stars. Jeter, Aaron Judge, Eli Manning. What's the theme? Go home, all about the sport, grownups with the media, good background, adult, you know, relationships with family. It's funny, Jeter close to his family, Eli Manning, Brunson's dad in the NBA, Aaron Judge. A lot of times they're small town guys. If you come to New York as a star, A-Rod, or you're a big free agent and you get all this expectation, it eats you up. Jalen's the opposite. Cast off for Dallas. All he has to do is prove stuff like Villanova. He is your classic. I mean, Eli Manning went to Ole Miss Jeter struggled in the minor leagues. Who's Aaron Judge? He's from Fresno. New York has a prototype. You're a little overlooked, undervalued, good background, family college. I think that's so, the league's getting so young that these older players that can bring maturity to me, Jason, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like I say about LeBron. It's like LeBron, it could be a, you know, He's like a coach, general manager, star on the floor. He's thinking about who am I, who should I have relationships with? Who can I elevate? Who should be on the floor with me? I mean, he's thinking through every possession and every game. I don't know. I, I just can't say enough about Brunson. I think he is New York's next star. I love him. I think he's the best quarterback in that city. To, to his credit, too, like he signed up for this. Like the Mavs, it, it was it was a little different in the annual value, but the total contract value that the Mavs offered him was pretty close to what the Knicks offered him. He straight up said, I want it. I want the pressure. I want like he he signed up for what New York brought to the table. And he's not just thrived in that environment. He's completely exceeded expectations. We have a couple of uh, big Knicks fans that help produce hoops tonight. And I talked with them about this behind the scenes. And it, like, it's crazy how that one singular signing transformed the entire landscape of the Knicks future. Because they got like, think about Jalen Brown just signed a deal where in the final year, he's going to make like 70 million. Okay. And like, and and Jalen Brunson's making in the twenties and he's giving you superstar production. Like it's crazy. It's crazy what that one move has done for that franchise. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet the big game, bet just five bucks. That's it. Five bucks and get 150 bucks in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Takes about 90 seconds. Use the code Colin, C-O-L-I-N. New customers bet five bucks, get 150 instantly in bonus bets for the big game. DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Remember, redeem code Colin, C-O-L-I-N. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, KS, licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of on a contract's fine print, or you finally want to get that will done. Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go back to the West Coast and the Warriors. Uh, Clay Thompson, end of games being benched. Kaminga now is starting to really play well. Not exactly sure why it took so long. Did Chris Paul start the unlocking? Has Steph Curry? I don't know. A lot of times we forget these guys come into the league at 19. It just takes a long time to get your footing. I don't care if you're a podcaster, a broadcaster, a basketball player. It's just a lot of reps. You got to be on the treadmill in games. So I've said before, I, I would move everybody but Steph and Draymond, and I think I'm going to add Kaminga to that. So, so look at their current state. Um, can they make a move? Is is? Do you disagree? Would you? I mean, nobody's moving Steph. Would you move Draymond? Would you move Kaminga? What What's the future look like for them? So it's funny because like a month ago, it was it was leaning heavily towards a Kaminga trade. Yeah. To, to give you an idea of just how crazy this Kaminga stretch is, he had never in his entire career had back-to-back 20-point games, ever, not once. 
And then he notched off like eight of them in a row. <laughs> like, like he he in his last 10 games is averaging 25 points on 61% shooting yeah. from the field. Like he's on an incredible run, flashing like true superstar upside. And so it, like a month ago, I was actually pitching on my show. I was like, call the Nets and be like, here's Jonathan Kaminga, Andrew Wiggins, and Moses Moody. Give me Mikhail Bridges, like a legit number two for Steph. And Dorian Finney-Smith, that way we have some two really versatile two-way forwards to put between Draymond and Stephen Clay and go make another run at this thing. Kaminga's made that not an option anymore. Like, he's just so, he's so damn good that you can't afford to let go of that upside. Here's the problem. He's 21. So, like, like we, we talked about last year in the finals, Michael Porter Jr. is 25 and he struggled on that stage. It is sure. a, it is very much a man's game when you get to the later rounds of the NBA playoffs. and so. Here's the thing, like I, I feel more sure than ever that Kaminga has star upside, but I also, everything about NBA history tells me that he's not going to push Steph into title contention this year either. And so they're kind of in this weird thing where it feels like a gap year in a lot of ways because they can look to make a move. They, I know they've looked to move Andrew Wiggins. I'm sure they've uh, looked at all these sorts of ancillary moves and they may still make a move for like a Dorian Finney-Smith from the Nets and just like a throw like Moses Moody and and another one of their smaller contracts that way for a, a veteran forward. They might call Orlando and get a backup center or something along those lines like a Wendell Carter Jr. Who knows? But none of those guys are really transforming their their outlook within the scope of this season. I think... I think like in a lot of ways, especially with Steph only being 35, you and Steve Kerr basically said this in in his presser the other night. He goes, we're not going to get anything better in the trade deadline than Chris Paul coming back to shore up the bench, than Gary, Gary Payton coming back to shore up their perimeter defense. And then Jonathan Kaminga's rise is an influx of talent in its own way. And they're actually starting to trust him a little bit more at the end of game. Yeah. Steph, in a big possession against Brooklyn last night, just threw the ball to Kaminga in the post and got out of the way. And he drew a foul, got to the foul line. He's actually been really gifted at getting defenders out of position and getting to the foul line this year. So, like, it's weird because in a weird way, it kind of turns this year into a gap year because I don't think they have enough. But Kaminga's upside is more than enough to make up for that in the big picture. Yeah. And I mean, again, he's 21. I think we, we forget college football players come with three to four years. They're on a college campus. These kids, you, you put them in the NBA. They can't go to the hotel lobby bar. They're kids. <laughs> it just, and then, then you bring them in, Jason, and they're not getting any real game time minutes. So they're not getting, they're not, they're not, you know, the NFL, even a rookie who's kind of a miss, he's on the field, he's on special teams. So you can only do so much with practice in your eight preseason games. So I, I have a, a soft spot for like the Kamingas when especially they run a system, that catch and react system that is not for 19 year olds. Like it's, it's just, it, it eats people up. So to me, Kaminga's always looked the part, length, twitchiness, vertical, hungry. It's just a matter of time. Wiseman, I always thought was a weird fit. I don't think Kaminga's a weird fit at all. I think he fits. I just think he's a kid. And this is, I mean, you're talking about a sophisticated offense that's almost European the way it plays. It's, it's functioning. I mean, D'Angelo Russell came there and had years in the league. They spit him out. They were just like not interested. The guys that have work, Iggy, Bogut, you know, like older Wiggins, older veteran players that can come in and find a spot. So I'm 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 glad to see sort of Kaminga flourishing because I, I do think he looks the part. I think he's a really special athlete. Let's go back east. Um, 
to the Sixers. I'm zigzagging here, but if for our podcast audience, I want both coasts. I don't want to bore you with too much left or right coast. <laughs> so I, I defend the NBA on the Joel Embiid injury. First, it was random. A guy fell on his knee. It happens. Secondly, the NBA didn't want to create this structure where you have to play 79% of your games. They didn't want to do it. They created it because when the TV contract is up, advertisers came to them and said, yeah, it'd be nice if Giannis was available for the Saturday night game. We're paying, you know, $800,000 a commercial. And it became sort of a three-year load management pattern, which there's no data to suggest that it makes you better. We've, we've learned that this year, that the load management's a lot of nonsense. So the league says, okay, we're, we're a player's league but we need you to play more games. So, you know, you can argue, well, Embiid shouldn't have been playing, but Embiid missed his first two years because of injuries. He's had chronic injuries, as many bigs do. It was gonna happen. He's been hurt every year. So I'm not gonna blame the league on this, but we got into this discussion the other day and the name I threw out, because I'm old, somebody said, <laughs> um, who is Embiid if he never wins a title? Because all the bigs have dominated. I watched my first NBA game in 72 with Wilt, titles. Kareem, titles, Shaq, titles, uh, Akeem, titles, Duncan, big, titles. Um, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, is he Ewing, Bob Lanier, who, again, at my age was a dominant big, uh, showed up in Bud Light or Miller Light commercials, whatever it was. But I think that's what Embiid is. I think you have to look at him like Ewing. And Ewing got to two finals. You have to look at Embiid and say, listen, injuries, weird teammates, but I can't make him a top 30 player ever. He statistically great. He's the closest thing to Shaq. But for bigs, you know, in a sport where you have a genetic advantage, you're 7-2. Like, I'm going to hold you kind of accountable for trophies. They've never been to the conference finals. I We always bang on quarterbacks that don't win Super Bowls. But there's limitations on what you can do with 22 guys on the field. I want my bigs to win trophies. Is, it, is that a fair criticism of Embiid? He's not a top 30 player. He's just a top 30 talent. Yeah, well, he was having one of the best regular seasons that we've ever seen before he got hurt this year. But like, he was also having one of the best regular seasons we've ever seen last year. And then the knee started to break down, got to the postseason, and his jump shot started missing. And then all of a sudden, everything kind of fell off for him. He kind of reminds me of what that conversation we were having earlier involving Jason Tatum and Anthony Edwards, where he has attached a good amount of his success to jump shooting. Like to Nikola Jokic's credit, most of his shot making is like little push shots and hook shots that are around the basket, which have more like playoff, uh, you know, resiliency, so to speak. Like it, it just translates better to that phase. Like last year, Joel Embiid knocked down all of those little face up jab step jumpers in the regular season, and then he couldn't make them over Al Horford, <laughs> and all of a sudden the bottom fell out for him. So, yeah. like, I think, I, but I think it's important to acknowledge the injuries, and some of that's out outside of his control. Some of that also is kind of historically, you know, uh, not exactly the most shocking thing in the world for a player his size to yeah. kind of encounter some recurring injuries on that front. I think. The tougher question is, as it pertains to the NBA regular season, is like you might have to super load manage Joel Embiid from now on. You might have to literally hold him down to 50 games in a season and never let him play more than three times in a week or do whatever it is you've got to do to maintain his knee because 
if the issue is he's hurt every year in the playoffs, then you have to find a way to get him there. You have to find a way to get him there. And you know what? That might involve not chasing 70 points against the Spurs. That might involve taking more nights off along the way. And like, you know, as far as the 65 game limit thing goes, I because our colleague Draymond Green came out critical of it the other day too. To me, it's kind of misdirected criticism in the sense that like, I think a, a, a limit like that makes some sense. It's an award. It's a regular season yeah. award. You should participate in the regular season if you're going to get that award. The bigger issue is if you don't let the press affect your salary. Take that part out. Uh, that's the part I don't understand. Make it so that the people voting on the award aren't directly affecting your ability to negotiate your salary. That's where the issue is because I want yeah. players to play more frequently, but I don't want them to play on a bum knee for money. That's where that's where it becomes an issue. So the, here's my thing, Jason. If I said to you, listen, I'm not going to screw with your base salary, Jason, at the volume. I'm not going to screw with your fame, your personal life. I'm not going to screw... I'm not going to screw with your social media money, your shoe money, but your bonuses, you have to hit 88 podcasts a year. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's outrageous. I mean, if Fox came to me, Colin, we're not going to screw with your salary, your social, the volume, but that $600,000 bonus a year, you got to work 211 days on the year. That's all the NBA is saying. We don't want to touch any of your money. And these guys now make social shoes, overseas advertisements. You're not getting the bonus. You're not getting the plaque money. We're out on that. I think that's incredibly, incredibly reasonable. Reasonable. Okay, now that this isn't a because I love the NBA and I now I pivot every year early. I would say mid to late January. I kind of pivot to the NBA, and I just I'm so deep into college and pro football stuff. I, I just can't do it. Of course. And so over the last I would say two weeks, now I'm watching a game a night, sometimes two a night. So two things can be true. As a sport in America gets more international, the quality of the sport is better, but it doesn't help attendance or ratings because the sport becomes less domestic and less recognizable. So hockey and baseball and now the NBA are much more international, arguably best players now, international players. Certainly in the NBA, you're, you're on a heater now, about four or five years, all the all the MVP, SGA, Luka, Embiid, Giannis, uh, Wemby by next year late. Okay, yeah. so Jokic. So that I don't worry about the NBA in terms of stability, aesthetic. Some have criticized the way it looks. I don't worry about that. Playoffs come, mid-range basketball comes right back. Guys need mm -hmm. buckets. But I do think in terms of ratings, I think the NBA to get the 75 billion they want is gonna have to spread it out. It'll be less dependable on significant, one big significant network. It's getting more international. And unless you follow European leagues, which people don't, unless they're diehards, you're not gonna really see them in March Madness. They're gonna go to bad teams, finally make an imprint in the playoffs, Wemby by year three. Now, Wemby, again, is, is already iconic, it feels like. But that the NBA will be less viewed going forward. The basketball will be better. The playoffs will be intense. But it will be thin. It will be international like hockey and baseball. I mean, hockey looks so much better today than 10 years ago. It's so much faster. I mean, baseball's insane. Otani is, is significantly better than Babe Ruth. The quality <laughs> of the NBA's it's off the hook. It's just, I mean, 
<laughs> the idea, the reason you can't stop anybody is because seven footers can pull up for threes. You have to defend them. So there's no bigs in the paint and you don't have a hand check. So you can't stop anybody. There's a real last night, Hawks Clippers is 300 points. Guys were trying. There's nobody in the basket because the bigs are Plumlee's so much skill. The Plumley yeah. is a rare guy that doesn't shoot a three. It's like when you see Plumley, it's like, oh, a 1980s player. I can guard the basket. So the way I look at the NBA, I do worry about if we're going to talk about ratings. I just think in a more distracted society, it's not going to be a great ratings league. It's going to be a great talent league. Is that a reasonable appraisal going forward? Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I actually think, I think, they could lose ground even on the, the uh, on those like specific TV ratings numbers because I think attention span is getting less and less and the yeah. it, it, the league is becoming more and more of an inventory sport like they're adding the in season tournament they're adding the play in tournament they're just it, it is very much like a you're not getting the like I saw the number from the AFC championship game it was like half a Super Bowl <laughs> you know what I mean like it's like you're you're not getting those kinds of numbers from an NBA slate where it's like you, the Lakers play the Nuggets, TNT major game on Thursday, kind of a big game too. Like the Lakers are on a three game winning streak. Like they could, they beat Denver on Thursday, kind of changes the tone and tenor of their season in so many different ways. They also could lose by 40 and it could mean nothing because that's just the reality of the way the NBA season, season is set up. And so to me, I, I look at it as I look at it more optimistically, just in the sense that I don't ever really see the NBA as being the huge gigantic rating draw in a singular contest the way that the NFL is. It is an inventory sport. And I think that expands to the global potential too. Just the ability to earn, you know, little bits and pieces of income from a ton of different sources rather than right. these big singular events, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, and I also, I feel, you know, the people, a lot of the people are intellectually dishonest. If you don't like the NBA, keep it to yourself. I love mm. the NBA and my criticisms are based on, I love it. Here's what I see. So I've watched the same number of NBA for as long as I can remember. I watched football until about mid January, February starts. I start getting into it. And by I'll take a vacation for a week after the football season, we're all kind of unplugged from sports. I come back and I'm into the NFL free agency and the NBA and I'm watching a game or two every night. Mm -hmm. So um, I've watched, and I think the quality is off the hook. Um, but I do think international players have a couple of advantages. They get into those academies and play against older men early. Mm -hmm. They don't have the distractions of our domestic players. You know, they they don't. They're just over there in Lithuania working on hoops, playing against older men. Uh, they don't have the social media platforms like we do over here. They have them, but they're not. Yeah, I mean, America's different. You know, it's just we're so starstruck. Yeah. So they have. And so our guys come in distracted. I mean, a John Morant, Zion, they're stars when they're like 19 years old. Meanwhile, Wemby can come in here and frankly kind of hide except for diehards. Giannis sort of hid for four years. Jokic absolutely hid for five. Yes. So our guys can't hide. John Morant comes in. He's a star. Zion's a star. So I think there's some advantages to being the international player. I don't think the AAU system, big picture, makes our players better. I think it makes them something. I'm not sure what it is. Steve Kerr, guys like that. But I don't think the NBA, um, they're going to get their money. We all need content. We all need content. I just saw Fox, mm. ESPN, Warner Brothers just started a new streaming service. So it's like, listen, the games are going to be played. And the reason they're doing that is so they can afford other sports to go up against Apple and Amazon. But mm. I think the league's fine. But I think what's happened, Jason, is everything outside of the NFL is niche. By the way, 
Everything in Canada outside of hockey is niche. Everything in England outside of the English Premier League is niche. You just have to own it. It's okay. Every every country has the sport. Cricket is the national pastime in England. Nobody watches it. <laughs> All right? <laughs> it's a soccer country. So I, I think the NBA is in great shape because I do believe, just like a podcast or a radio show, if your content's good, you're fine. Whatever's happening to the platforms, the content of the NBA is really good. So it's fine. It's built for social media. The highlights are, are are completely insane. It can be digested in smaller portions. As a matter of fact, like to your point, it's like the NBA is awesome at everything except for the big singular TV event. That, that that's kind of like their biggest right. weakness in so many ways. Even extending into the NBA playoffs. I mean, we watched you and I watched the Lakers last year. Literally. Yeah deliberately punt games in the playoffs <laughs> like they 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 went through memphis and golden state in the exact same pathway they were like win game one who cares game two win game three and four who cares game five like there's just so much less urgency on a night-to-night basis and i don't even think that can be recreated it's it's not possible i mean the nfl's urgency extends into the regular season it, it's the craziest thing it's it's appointment television i have all my family and friends very few of them watch NBA basketball. All of them watch the NFL. It is so much more culturally resonant. And, and my thing is like, I'm I'm not of the opinion that the NBA should even be compared to the NFL. The NFL is like That's an right. entirely different entity. But the NBA in and of its own kind of self is succeeding in a lot of different ways. And I think it's getting better. I think I think you, you mentioned the officiate the or the playoffs when you get to the playoffs and things kind of get better. That's the interesting thing to me is like officiating to me is one of the bigger issues in the NBA. And then we get to the playoffs and they kind of get it right. You yeah. know, so like, so like even on that front, I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of nitpicking. So like, I'm generally an NBA optimist. I'm just a realist in the sense that they'll never, ever compete with the NFL. Well, listen, I worked, uh, I'm at FS1. It's number two to ESPN. It's a very good life. There's so many advantages to not being the NFL. The scrutiny in the NFL game to game is insane. They flush out seven coaches a year. I mean, a quarterback <laughs> basically gets to Thanksgiving of his second year. And 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 if you're not good, upstairs they're moving on. I mean, quickly. Can, Zion yeah. has had a weight issue for four years, and they're still in on him. So there's advantages of being two. A lot of people at Pepsi made a lot of money. I, I think to your point, I don't think you worry about anything other than I I I will say I've always believed that college basketball has a place in the NBA. I think you can kind of get you they. I wouldn't know Zion without him. It's for the casual fan. You meet these stars in March and it's like, oh my God, I want to watch Zion. He doesn't play at Duke. He's just another Jalen Green. I mean, the average fan has no idea who Jalen Green is. So my only knock on Adam Silver is I wish he would just say to college basketball, hey, it's kind of a microwavable version of us. You get three weeks where everybody watches the sport. Then you wrap your arms around Zion and college basketball, and you can get some of those college basketball people that feed into the NBA. I've never thought the – listen, you can make an argument. The more popular your college sport is, the more popular the league is. So college football is number one NFL. Number two is college basketball NBA. Number three is the College World Series, baseball four, and then then college hockey, right? Like, so, so I mean, if you look at it, you're, the more popular your minor league system is, it absolutely is a push into your major league platform. So I, I don't know. I think the NBA is fine. I, Did you like I'll, the in-season tournament? I thought it was great. I don't understand the pushback. I thought it was so pushback. good. It was amazing. It, first Adam of all, Silver's batting a thousand. <laughs> so first of all, 
If you're upset about Taylor Swift or purple basketball courts, get a life. <laughs> like, who gives a shit? Uh, secondly, is there's no question when I watch those games. I mean, LeBron was, first of all, he shot 57%. He was all in. So when your stars buy in, I'm like, okay, LeBron's, I mean, the Lakers played like it was playoff basketball. LeBron in his 20th year, 19th year. So again, people are nitpicking. I thought the in-season tournament, I don't think it's a home run, stand-up double, quality of it. I mean, Indiana was playing their arse off. Lakers were playing their butt. Those, the players. They felt like playoff it. games. I, I thought they bought into it way more than I would have. I, I First, I thought this is hokey. And then I watched like my second game on the court and I'm like, these, these guys are playing. This is like, what was it? December. I'm like, or November. I'm like, God, these guys are all out. Yeah, it 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 was exactly the tent pole that the regular season needed because like the NBA season, it's kind of like you go through two thirds of it and then there's the trade deadline. Then there's like the stretch run, but it's almost like a big sink in the middle there. And, and sometimes like, like Colin, I don't blame you for not watching the NBA in December and January. It can be, so, not only can it be a little boring, it can also be, it can also give you a lot of really fake results. Like the Utah Jazz went and won a bunch of games in a row in the middle of January. You know, like like this this is the time of year where like youth and athleticism kind of rises to the surface in so many different ways. And the NBA needed something, a tent pole between yes. the start of the season and the trade deadline. And that what the that's what the in season tournament served as is a breakup of monotony in so many different also, ways. Also, the NFL's taken away their number one marketing day Christmas to some degree. So the NBA is like, okay, if you're going to take that away or minimize it, then we're going to create an in-season tournament before you get to your tournament. So it's all, listen, the NFL has always been playing around with the calendar. I think, I think Adam said, okay, you're going to F us on Christmas <laughs> and we're going to create urgent, by the way, some of those playing games got numbers. Yeah. These commissioners used to be buddies. Now it's, now you're all fighting for Amazon money. Nobody's buddies mm -hmm. anymore. So the NFL moved free agency, moved into Christmas and the NBA says, so we're going to create urgency before mm -hmm. I thought it worked. And also the NBA has always been about the trade deadline on it. it it's in my, I mean, everybody's at 50 games now. So you get to about game 55, 60, everybody tightens everything up. The rotations get tightened up. You coach with an eye on the playoffs. I think we're going to have a great stretch run. I think Boston and Denver are the best teams. Neither has a good bench. And I think there's some Milwaukee's Lakers, Phoenix, Oklahoma city, Minnesota. Can't wait to watch it. Um, Jason Timpf hoops tonight, 50 minutes. We'll do more of this stuff. It's great seeing you. You're crushing. Uh, you're going to see a lot of the Jason stuff on my feed now as I kind of go heavy football. And now, uh, the NBA is getting good and I'll tell y'all say what you want. Give the Clippers a chance. If you're listening to this podcast, it is beautiful basketball. It is no high usage rate, tremendous movement. Uh, next time we'll talk, we'll talk. Oklahoma City Thunder. We're not ignoring, ignoring Denver, Minnesota, but watch the Clippers play if you're a casual. That is good basketball. That is beautiful basketball. Ball movement, shot makers, shot creators, mid-range, post, inside, transition. It's great. Final thoughts? Colin, I just wanted to say congrats to you on three years with the volume. It's crazy because like a year ago, you and I had a similar conversation about how crazy the growth has been. And even in the years since, it's been even crazier. I, I, I like I, I've been. I just have to say, obviously, being a part of it has been 
an honor, but like getting to see what you've built and and from what it was at the beginning to what it is now, it's just incredibly impressive. And I just want to say congratulations. Well, uh, you're really valuable to us. And uh, I mean, I think the thing we lean in, we lean into some gambling, NBA, NFL, and strong opinions. And you're such a unique voice in basketball. You know, we got Jenkins and Jones, who culturally are so important to us, Draymond Green, the player. And I don't think there's anybody in the country that breaks it down like you. I think you give people a really data-driven, smart, former player context that matters. It's not, you know, listen, I get called a hot take guy, but I've said before, I can't watch every game. I've got to cover all these sports and I'm going to give you broad views of stuff. You really dig deep. I think it's necessary and I think you're the best in the country at it. And I love it. So good seeing you, buddy. Good to see you too, Colin. Looking forward to next time. Hoops tonight, Jason Timpf, Money at the Volume. The Volume. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, take a moment, rate, and review. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.